Well, since you've been waiting for us, I should probably just kick this off. And we were doing we're doing just a happy hour right now, so I'm letting the audience settle in on YouTube. And thanks everybody for joining us away. Uh, Lynn St. James, welcome to the show. Welcome. I'm sorry you couldn't be here today, and uh, we're very excited to have you though. Nick's been spoiled and got to talk to you, but I haven't yet. So I can't see you. I only see two of you. Um, yeah, you're cut out. Of the <laughs> yeah, I'm hiding off to the side, but I swear oh, I'm don't here. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. Yeah, the way it, the oh, way yeah. it crops. Yeah. Everything was fine until that happened. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm still in there, but it, it'll show up on the Are recording. you sure you're in this? I yeah, just I can see it right there. Making yeah, sure. I made sure ahead of time. This is going to look really weird if the, I know, the I voice know. of Dan is in the background. But yeah, yeah I'm just the ghost so. in the room. Okay. Oh, that still didn't help. Okay. Yeah, that didn't help at all. Well, anyway. Don and I look fabulous. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. Well, with this one, we're coming from Park Place. I want to give a special thanks to them for making this happen because uh, they still gave us a spot. I know things changed very quickly and you were meant to be here with us. And I'm sorry that didn't work out, but a huge thanks to them. So they're a great Avance partner. And uh, they've been, they have a long history in the racing world. As Don mentioned earlier, there's probably some cars in here you've driven. I mean, you can't sit behind us, but there's uh, a Lotus they've raced. Uh, a, let's see, an IndyCar, Celine. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. I wish you were here. Yeah, or I wish somebody was walking around showing me the cars. Yeah, Don. <laughs> you had one, you had yeah. one job. You had, you had one, one job. job. I, yep, sorry. So I, I don't get out much. Like you've had a busy day. Yeah. I, we always start our show with a uh, Carter Automotive Group tip of the week. And I want this one comes from Indy. And you're going to know this one. But I wonder, I'm going to ask some people in the room real quick. Does anybody know what the celebratory drink of Indy is? That's right. It's milk of all things, which seems like a terrible idea on a hot day, as the quote goes. Yep. But that started back in 1936 when a driver won Indy, and it was the first thing he grabbed was a cold glass of milk. And ever since then, the dairy farmers shouldn't have partnered with Indy to make this happen. And so today it's more of like a Gatorade thing where they just dump it over people because milk on a hot day doesn't seem that great. But uh, nice cold milk. No. it is an interesting yeah. fact of Indy that I thought was worth sharing that people probably have seen and thought that's weird. Actually, but actually the go. driver, and I can't remember now the driver's name, but he, they didn't hand it to him. He requested buttermilk, which is... Oh, oh that's what it was. was that? Cold yeah. buttermilk. Yeah, it was a French driver. Was, I, I didn't think that could get worse, but buttermilk oh, right. definitely <laughs> works. And, like, so, and then I, yeah, I watched exactly. the Detroit race, and uh, Marcus Erickson, of course, who won the Indy 500, said that he could smell sour milk in his car at Detroit because it was still left over from Indy. <laughs> oh, why is it when somebody says the word sour milk, you can instantly Perfect. smell it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 36. Lewis Meyer was the Lewis Meyer. That's right. 36. I should have known. Yeah. I think Emma, Emma wanted uh, orange juice. That's today. right. I mean, he was kind of booed by uh, a lot of the fans because he requested orange juice first, and then he did go to the milk. But because he has orange groves in Brazil, um, he requested orange juice. There you go. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would go orange juice over milk. I st I've still got sour milk in my brain. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> let alone buttermilk. Uh, I cannot believe that. Lynn, you've had an incredible racing career. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, I'm, everybody can go on the internet and kind of figure out where you've been and the things you've done, which are incredible. But where was that spark that started you wanting to be a race car driver or be in a car and beat the pants off of everybody? <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of is hard to answer that in one moment. I mean, I went to the Indy 500, and, and that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, but that I didn't ever think, oh, I was going to do that. Um, I mean, really, the spark was the first time I got behind the wheel um, of a drag. I was drag racing a streetcar um, at, legally at a drag strip, 
and uh, and won. I actually won the race. I was driving my buddy's GTO, and I got the biggest trophy in my life that I think ever existed. And um, and that's, I mean, being at the line um, with the Christmas tree, and then they taught me, you know, how to, you know, hold it at 3,000 RPM and drop the clutch and, and go through the gears. And I mean, that whole, that whole experience was like electrifying. Um, but I was a teenager, and that was not at all in braced by my parents when I came home um, with that trophy. And so that sort of got parked. Um, and then really fast forward about 10 years later, I went to the 24 hours of Daytona uh, for the first time as a spectator. And I saw um, real people driving race cars again. You know, I mean, they were driving, obviously real people were racing at the drags, but you know, besides Mario Andretti and Pedro Rodriguez and all the superstars, there was also Porsches and Camaros and you know really cool cars with just normal people at the back of the grid, but it still showed that it was kind of possible. And that's when the spark really, I said, and I was 27 and I thought, okay, it doesn't matter what my parents think anymore about what I'm going to do with my life. And so I decided that that was what I was going to do. That's it sounds like you're making good decisions to go to these races in the first place. So that's the important thing to see these yeah, well, wonderful I mean, events. You know, in the sixties, which is when, you know, the muscle car era, that's what we all did. I mean, we were at the drags or we were at the, you know, local fairgrounds. I mean, you know, there was always some race to go to. And then of course I lived in Ohio. So Indy wasn't that far away. So yeah. Now, your first official race car was not what I expected. <laughs> if, if the, if, if the, what I read was true, can you tell me about your first race yes. car? My first race car was a Ford Pinto. Um, it was an eligible, brand new class in SCCA, the Sports Car Club of America, called Showroom Stock. And the cheapest eligible car was a Ford Pinto. So I went down to my Ford dealer, ordered a Ford Pinto. I lived in South Florida, ordered it with no air conditioning um, because that would be extra you know, weight and, and take power off the engine. and put a roll bar in it, a five-point seatbelt, a five-pound fire extinguisher, which was required for all race cars and not just Pintos, if you remember the story of the Pinto. I mean, most Pintos need fire right. extinguishers, so <laughs> yeah. no matter right. what. So, yeah. And that was my street car during the week, and, and then I started racing it in, in uh, SCCA on weekends. Okay. That, well, was the, that was the car that... Uh, that took a bath, right? Yes, that was the car that after driver school, my very first race, which is the same weekend of driver school, you know, they kind of let you have a race after you pass, but you still have an X on your car um, to let everybody know you're a rookie and stay away from you. Um, I lost control of the car as somebody passed me, went to pass me. The overall leader came around and I had, I was paying so much attention to my, my, you know, my points to my entry and my braking points and, I forgot to watch the mirrors and all of a sudden this car showed up and I just lost control and, and I spun out and this is down in South Florida at, at West Palm Beach, which is a track that unfortunately right now is just closing. Um, and uh, I ended up in a what I thought was a pond, but it turns out it was a little deeper than that and the car told me something. So I, the car took a bath, yes. And I had to tow that car home, flat tow it home, clean it out, dry it out, so that I could drive it to work. 
I mean, to me, it sounds like she was the first race car driver to like clean up her car that time. So I'm, that's easy. Yeah. 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 Everybody washes their car sure. after they're done. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It's just you know, drive. It's a drive-through. <laughs> <It's a> drive- <laughs> Well, then I'm going to take just a minute. Our audience is saying your audio is a little quiet, so I'm going to see if I can give you a little more microphone game. Okay. Uh, you want me, and I can, I can get closer to my computer. Let's try that. I'm trying to yeah. trying to make this good for our audience here. And I'm sorry because my- almost the point, you know, so the know, audience can right? listen, right? You know, so got your mic turned all the way up. Let me see if I can turn ours down a little. Maybe that'll help the audience a little bit. Well, like. Well, my voice, unfortunately, is not doing really that great. I'm coming back, but I'm not quite strong yet. Yeah, hopefully that's a little better for our audience. I turned our gain down, turned yours up a little bit. Hopefully we're getting there. (laughs) Bear with us, audience. Thanks for letting us know. Hey, Evan. Uh, (laughs) uh, Josie Rimmer in the audience, who you know from Dirtfish. We got to see you speak there a little bit as Nick and I went out for the ladies' day there. You've been at this, so let's, let's move to women in motorsports, because this is really what I want to talk to you about. And you've kind of pioneered this, which is, I mean, when did you start? 94? You started the foundation? Well, 94 is when I started a foundation. I wanted to do a driver development program. I, I wanted to be able to invite what I thought was talented drivers out there. And I kind of scoured the, the landscape. I used to really, I used to read like National Speedsport News and look for names because they always had all the finishing results. And I'd look for names and I'd try to find women, you know, female names. And, and then I'd contact Speedsport. I mean, it was, a, it was a real hassle, but I would find what I thought were some talented drivers out there. And then I wanted to tell them everything that I learned that took me so long to learn and, and try to accelerate, you know, their, their learning process about nutrition and about fitness and, you know, about how to market yourself and how to do an interview and, and all the things that most of these young drivers feel, you know, female, male, whatever, they just don't, they just didn't know about that stuff. And so I created a driver development program in 1994, continued that for 20 years, um, trained over 230 drivers from 30 states and seven countries, I think, um, came from all over the, all over the world. Um, And finally, I mean, I just, I ran out of steam. I ran out of funding because I I didn't, I only charged them $500 to come for the event. It was four days long. And, um, and so I got kind of quiet around 2014. Um, And, and then, you know, timing is everything in this world. And so I, I transferred um, our program into a scholarship program but I wasn't able to continue to raise money. So we had to freeze that. And this year I was able to, well, actually last year, last August, uh, I got to meet Beth Peretta and we started brainstorming and lo and behold, with all of this attention about diversity and inclusion and equity, um, it was like the time was right, I think, to really um, to come together and we, we invited other other experts and professionals, not just drivers, not people just driving, but also in all disciplines of motorsports. And we created a new entity called Women in Motorsports North America. And we we represent engineering, we represent marketing, we represent fabrication, we represent crew members, we represent educators, we represent all disciplines of motorsports. And, And then we are trying to, we created a community We've got a website that gives information about 
Racing 101. What what is a team structure? What is the, what are the different racing organizations? I think everybody kind of either knows nothing or they know just a little bit about what they know. And so whether it's drag racing or whether it's USAC racing or whether it's go-kart racing, but they don't understand the full landscape and what the opportunities are. So we really want to become a portal. We are a portal of information for what's going on out there. So we are, we're, we're helping share information about other groups that are doing things as well as we're going to create a mentorship program. And yeah, so we're just, we're a collective um, umbrella of, knowledge and information to be able to help grow the sport, you know, help grow the industry to let more people know, and particularly let more women know that there are opportunities out there. Yeah, beyond just driving, because if you think of racing, that's, I'll admit, that's the first thing I thought of, I didn't actually go beyond that. Like when I think of women in motorsports, I just think of drivers, and there's a lot more to that. I mean, we've interviewed Rihanna and Gelsomino, who's a co-driver for Pastrana, of course. But I mean, beyond that, that's really what I think most people is limited to. And I had to, I was thinking of this throughout the day of like, what things would I want to know that I could ask you? And one of the, the corporate lingos we talk about is we have a thing called in representation called not about us without us. And that's when you're talking to a group, you don't talk about them without them present in the sense you don't make a program about somebody if they're not there to help give you feedback on it. You're not really addressing your demographic that way. Um, what is in your mind, what makes us a good ally for women in motorsports? We're three dudes sitting up here. We've been racing and playing with cars our whole lives. But, uh, if I'm going to be, you know, helping if somebody comes along, you know, a woman I know wants to get into motorsports, I have references I can give her that are other women. But as a guy, like, what do you want to see from us huh. as a woman in motorsports? I want to see. Dan just made you and I look real bad. Right <laughs> yeah. We're going down yeah, here. Thanks, Dan. I want to see exactly. motivational speech, I mean, I want to see exactly what you're doing, what Don's doing. I mean, with, what they're doing at the performance um, school out there. I mean, they have a women's day tomorrow, you know. And so I, I have this theory that women need to be invited. Men show up. You know, men will crash a party in a heartbeat. Women have a sense that they need to be invited. So what. You know, what you all can do is is to invite women to participate, to invite women to listen. I mean, don't wait for them to show up, actually invite them. And and you are the most important people, the three of you and all of you male, I call you male allies because can I feel good you are, because I mean, I actually attended a seminar last year and, and this guru from marketing around the world, I mean, he just validated my, my theory because he said, without men, women will never achieve equality because men are, in most cases, the decision makers and, and they are the influencers. So even though we want women influencers as well, like Allah, me and others, um, at the same time, it's really the guys, I, I, the guys that are in the sport need to not make it feel like it's a guy thing. They, they need to invite women. They, they need to, you know, celebrate the women that are successful, like a Dirkfish and, and what Don is doing and what, what you, you know, all of the, the great instructors that are out there, um, you know, at, at their school and at schools all over. Um, we just, we need to celebrate women, highlight that, that they're doing well, and then you guys need to invite more women to, show up and to participate. 
Wow, Dan, thanks for we can, taking We can do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're we, doing we, we chatted. We're going to invite women. Oh, we're, good. We're on yeah. top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good chat, guys. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of women or inviting yourselves to things, let's. I want to talk about you being the first female rookie at the Indianapolis 500. That's not a small feat. That's something that can never be taken away from you. Can you tell me a little bit about that road to get there? I mean, be able to be in a car and racing against men and, and just owning it. Well, you, I mean, every time you strap yourself in a race car, you better own it. I mean, my Ford Pinto or an Indianapolis 500 car, I mean, you, you, you wear that car, you, you become one with that car. So you better own it. Um, if you're like, mm, you know, I'm not sure about this, then, you know, you're, you're, it's, you're at some point you're going to start feeling that way, but you got to get over that really quick. And that only comes with lap times, you know, that comes with seat time. Uh, of course, now there's simulators and other ways to, to you know, to, to get that feeling. But um, I was so fortunate um, to have a team owner who was really unique, and, and that's Dick Simon. Um, he had taken more rookies to Indy than any other team owner. Um, he was a former driver himself. And, you know, there are people who are really good at what they do, and then they, but they can't teach. And then there are people who are really good at what they do. And then they're also good teachers. And quite frankly, there are also people who are not that good at what they do, but they're great teachers. Dick was great at what he did, but he was also a great teacher. And he had that ability to tell me what I needed to know when I needed to know it. Um, that was during the month of May at Indy. But he also gave me the opportunity prior to the month of May, like he took me down to the old Texas World Speedway. No media, no other cars no hype and just just said go and gave me laps and taught me how to lift before you go into a corner to ultimately be able to go flat through the corner so he was basically teaching me how to go flat around an oval um and getting confidence of what that feels like and so i was able to develop that under no pressure you know, and get that confidence to own that so that when I got to Indy, even though it's a completely different track in different, you know, different corners and, you know, Texas has got a bunch of banking and Indy's at nine degrees of banking. I mean, they were completely different, but I was able to know what I was trying to feel, what I was expecting, what I needed to feel um, to, to be able to do that. And so I, I just was fortunate to have the right team owner at the right time even though it was late in my career. I mean, the Indianapolis 500 was my first oval track race and only my second open wheel race, which I would never recommend to anybody, but that was just the way the cookie crumbled. <laughs> and, so, um, and, you know, I was just listening, I was listening to or reading something about one of the drivers, the rookies this year at Indy. It may have even been Marcus who won who said, you know, he likes high-speed corners. You know, I, I I've always liked high-speed corners. I don't like road courses where you have to pitch the car around the corner and all that. I like really smooth, high-speed corners. Guess what? There's four of those at Indy. And so it just it adapted or it, it suited my style of driving. I, I'm a precise, consistent type driver. Um, I'm, I'm strategic. I pick my times to make my passes. I don't just stick my nose in wherever I can. And, um, you know, it just suited 
it's just suited ending for me. And, um, and I never, I was, I'm very goal oriented, but I never, ever, ever expected to be rookie of the year. That was never on my agenda. I mean, we had nine rookies the year I was there. You know, Jimmy Vassar. Um, oh, God, I can't think of the other one. There were a couple of well-known now well-known. Um, and I just, I just didn't even have that on my radar. I just wanted to be successful, qualified, you know, race as hard as I possibly could. And I was learning every lap. Um, and, you know, when I, again, I, I say, I've said that so many times I was learning every lap. I was learning how to pass. I was learning how to, how to handle traffic um, during the race. Cause we didn't have that much during out the month of May. And then I was reading Jimmy Johnson's interview this year about here's seven time NASCAR champion. Who's already won at the Brickyard who was quoted as saying, I was learning how to pass. I was learning how to deal with traffic and how to deal with the, the dirty air around those cars. I'm like, it's just the nature of what happens when you're a rookie there. I mean, I don't care whether you come from that kind of a background where you've been, I don't know how many victories he's had in, in NASCAR and, and all of that, or whether you came from my background. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. And it just, um, but I was, I was, I felt so right there. I mean, I just did. And so winning rookie of the year, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. And I found out that Dick Simon had never been awarded rookie of the year with any of his rookie drivers, even though he had taken more rookies to Indy than anybody. And so I, it, I mean, I was more, I think I was more pleased and proud for him than, than even for myself at the time, at the moment. You've never been afraid of speed. You've had several speed records, yeah. which is, uh, you were, was the uh, first woman over 200, was well, it? Well, I, I think officially then, with an FIA record, yeah, I was the first to do that. And then I, And then the Thunderbird speed record? Yeah. 227 no, miles no, an hour, no, I think no, it was? 232 top speed, um, 212 was the average. Yeah, Dan, get it right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Faster than I'll ever Extra go. Extra four miles an hour you shaved off of there. <laughs> uh, tell us about what you're doing with Proformance. I want to, Don's here with us today, of course. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, just about the program. Well, I mean. Do you know you're doing something with her? I wish I would be out there tomorrow to watch. I mean, I think they've got something like 80, 70 or 80 women that are um, going to be showing up tomorrow and experiencing some for the first time, some that have been there before. Um, they're going to get a chance to, to get some lap times in to understand, you know, to understand our sport um, a little more. I mean, a lot of people think it is about just going fast, and that isn't the case at all. Um, I mean, it's about the mental approach that you use, the concentration. It's about car control skills. Um, and so they're going to have sessions where they get to go out on the track. They'll have sessions where they learn more about what it's like to, to drive. I know some of them may choose not to drive, but they want to get some hot laps and experience it. I love taking people for hot laps um, because they think, oh, what's the big deal? You know, and then they sit in that car and they thrown around from side to side, you know, and and I mean, it, you learn a lot about people when you give them a hot lap, because sometimes the people who are real boisterous and bold, and all of a sudden they get behind, you know, they, they get strapped in and they're going to get a hot lap. They get real quiet sometimes. They're like, whoa, slow down, you know. And then some people are kind of quiet and maybe a little more reserved. 
I mean, I've literally had people that I've given hot laps who say, go faster, go faster. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's an experience and, and it's an insight into what it's like to have car control. And today's cars have so much more ability than most any driver really does have. So, you know, you'll have a chance to, to learn so much. So, I mean, I think they've been doing this uh, Women's Day for a long time, and I know they're going to continue doing it because, again, women need to be invited. And that's exactly what this is all about. And I think it's also an opportunity to share what our sport is doing for women in motorsports. Um, and I'm excited about um, what we're doing with IMSA, and I'm, I'm actually the ambassador for their They've got a program um, that is going to come out in 2023 that's a championship caliber program uh, in the WeatherTech IMSA series in the GTD Pro Cars um, in a Porsche with top level team, uh, Proton with top level engineering. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's still opportunities. We, women have shown they can show up. Women have shown they can compete. Sometimes women have shown that they can win, but unfortunately not enough. And some of the reasons is because it's really hard as a woman driver to get with the top team, the top engineers, the top equipment, um, and enough funding to be able to do it right. And, and that's a, the differentiator that we're, I'm excited about what we put together in working with IMSA. Um, because it's in, and they're also creating a STEM program that will be visiting every race, every community that the racetracks are in, they'll be doing STEM program to be able to invite younger people to understand this sport is open to them. Um, and whether it's engineering or whether it's driving or whether it's marketing, but, you know, through the STEM education, they'll be able to get exposure to what our sport's about. So, um, you know, it, it takes, if you want to change the landscape, if you want to change your business, you have to change how you do business. And, and that's exactly what you know, I'm right now excited about working with IMSA on that because, you know, sports cars and production-based cars, um, I mean, I spent over a decade professionally racing at IMSA at SCCA Trans Am, and those cars, they're as close to production cars as you can have and yet still be a pure race car. And to be honest, I think it it's the best level playing field where a female driver um, mentally and physically can be competitive. It just takes the support around them um, to be able to make that happen. There has to be a commitment on everybody's part. I had that with Dick Simon and it made a difference. The program, uh, the program that Lynn's talking about is uh, something we've been working together on for almost a year now. It's uh, John Doonan, the president of IMSA and Lynn and Donna and I, and uh, I, I would say in all of my years in motor racing, it's probably the most exciting program we've ever had the opportunity to be a part of. I mean, the support level from Porsche I've never seen before, the support from Michelin, uh, Richard Mill, IMSA. Um, it's, it, there's nothing missing here. Uh, you know, we're really, really excited about it. Really want Seattle to be in behind the project. Um, it, it's got a lot to offer. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with Lynn on it uh, because she brings so much to the table. Right. Yeah, we've had we have a lot of women drivers in Avance and racers as well. I mean, Michelle's on the chat here. Michelle Graf is an instructor for you guys, I know. Right. And then we have a lot of women driving Porsches. <laughs> so if you're <coughs> listeners, audience, if you guys are hearing this, 
get out there and drive. You can show up to the track. It's not as intimidating as it sounds. You have a lot of resources if you're not, I mean, your school makes it very comfortable for any woman to go out there. I know many, many women who have gone out there, no experience, gotten on the track and had great instructors. And you don't, and the Pinto is a great example. You don't need to start, go to the port, you know, get a brand new Porsche and go to the track, right? Like grab a spec Miata, grab whatever, your daily driver and empty it and go to the track. Like as long as it's safe and the tires are good, you can go have a good day without, you know, breaking the bank and just get your feet wet. We uh, currently, we can't get enough female instructors because we have more and more female clients coming on board all the time, coming out and enjoying their cars, learning, understanding the industry. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a real exciting time uh, at performance right now. Uh, so we're looking forward to tomorrow. We've got a, a good group. Of, we've got some gals that are going to be there that have never even been to a racetrack. And then we've got some seasoned veterans who've, you know, been at it a while and everything in between. So by the end of the day, they're all going to be goddesses on the racetrack. <laughs> Well, uh, Lynn, tell us a little bit about your book that you've been doing, or you did. Yeah, me. well, I mean, um, actually, I originally wrote it um, back in 2001, and it came out in 2002. Um, I was hoping that it would be my full season. I would capture my full season, which I never had an IndyCar, um, but I got the publisher, but I didn't get the sponsor to do the full season, so I had to write the book. And it turned out to be a book more reflecting on my racing from the Pinto all the way up. So it was, it's really not just about racing though, because I, you know, I, I probably read every self-help book there is out there because I'm a sponge for wanting to know how to be better, you know, how to be smarter. And, but what I learned is I would read these books and I realized I'm learning all this in racing. Racing taught me more about life and about, how to live uh, a quality life, how to achieve goals, how to, how to perform at your best. Um, I learned all of that through racing. And, um, and so I wrote kind of my racing life, starting with the Pinto through my last Indy 500. But then at the end of every chapter, I, I wrote um, some pit stops, which are these life lessons um, about so it isn't just about racing. It's about how these life lessons came along that can help you in life. I mean, one is like how to stop negative thinking. We all get caught in the negative thoughts. And, and so there's the five R's, you know, of, of basically you've got to recognize that you've had a negative thought because believe it or not, sometimes you don't even do that. You try to push it aside, you know, and then you've got to, to replace that with something else. And, and so it's just, you know, it's kind of tips about how to, um, how I've learned. We should be writing this down. <laughs> yeah. Good thing she did. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. So, yeah, so that's, um, yeah, so the book has been very well received. Um, you know, young people have enjoyed reading it, and, and I ended up republishing it again uh, and updating it a little bit. So it's just called... Um, What's it called? An incredible journey. I'm sorry. It's an incredible journey. I mean, um, God, yes, it's it's an incredible journey because my journey has been incredible, and um, and I just wanted to share it with more people. And and as I said, a lot of people are enjoying it, and I think they're taking away some of those life lessons, or they're hearing stories about racing that they can relate to. That's probably happened to them too. Oh, oh, I thought oh, you there we go. Beer. There we go. <laughs> That's much better than beer. There you go. Okay. There yeah. you go. Yeah.
I loved uh, I loved my time in the book, Lynn. Uh, you know, our daughter was uh, an equestrian, and I, I heard her trainer say one time, there's a lot of lessons you learn in the barn. It's not all just about the horse and riding the horse. And I would say the same thing. There's a lot of lessons that you learn in a race car, and they're not all in the race car. There's a lot of lessons you learn in the garage. And uh, I, I love working with drivers that come up the hard way, drivers that didn't have it handed to them, that dealt with, you know, dealt with the challenges and, and you know, keeping sight on their goals and, 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 you know, dealing with doors being slammed in front of them constantly and just never losing sight of their vision and making it. And you're one of them. Well, I mean, that's what sports and competition does bring to life. I mean, and I'm, I can't help but then bring out that this year, by the way, is the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which is when the law was actually put in place that you could not discriminate um, if you receive any federal funds and in sports in particular. And so that, you know, that opened the world so much more to uh, young girls and females getting opportunities in sports that, you know, had always been available to the guys. And so um, whether it's, you know, you get college degrees, you can get, you know, college scholarships, you can, you learn about life. I mean, there is an, an executive that probably hasn't talked about their sports experience now. And I mean, that was 50 years ago when it was put into law. And I'm convinced that the reason why there's more girls racing go-karts and there's more girls in quarter midgets and there's more girls doing junior dragsters and there's more girls, you know, competing when they're seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old is because now we have moms and dads who played sports in school who then understand the benefits of it. And so a sport is, is a sport. And if, if you have the inclination and, you know, you want to go drive a little go-kart or you want to drive a quarter midget or a junior dragster, then um, that's just as, should be just as open to an opportunity for a young girl to do as it is for a little boy. So, I mean, a lot of the women these days definitely look up to you when they're racing, but who were you looking up to as you were coming up and, and, and who were your heroes? Well, you know, my shiro um, was Billie Jean King. Shiro, I like that better, okay. That's what I meant, too. Yeah, shiro, there you go. Was Billie Jean King, because that, I just watched her on TV in 1973 when she beat Bobby Riggs, and I know that it somehow that sort of hit my brain and said, if she can do that on TV, you can go out and drive a race car against the guys, you know. Um, and then when I started racing, I mean, to be honest, I was kind of, there was nobody there then. I mean, the, the people that I looked up to were the guys because I wanted to win. So I would literally, I mean, when I went to the 24 hours of Daytona, I'd watch Peter Gray. I'd watch Hurley Haywood. I would watch the drivers that were winning, um, Al Holbert, you know, um, oh, I mean, Rick Noop. I mean, there, there were just so many good racers out there, but there, at the time there weren't, now there were not women that I could look up to. Um, Janet Guthrie obviously came along in the late seventies and, but that was at Indy and I was just, I was out of the Pinto by then, but I was still at the grassroots level. And so I never saw myself ever going to that degree. And not only that, to be really honest, I watched Janet in the seventies at Indy. And to be honest, I didn't see her smiling a lot. And I also saw there was a lot of negativity. You know, there are a lot of, it was, it was not pretty. I mean, um, to watch the way a lot of the fans treated her and the way the other competitors treated her. And I was not experiencing that. I was feeling very, very comfortable. I've always been comfortable at a racetrack, whether I'm driving or whether I'm a fan or, I'm always happy when I'm at a racetrack. And so I said, I'm just going to do my thing, you know, and 
So, um, you know, and then I got Ford as a sponsor in the 80s, and I'm now racing professionally and competitively. And I've got teammates like, you know, Scott Pruitt and Tom Bloy and, you know, some really good drivers. And so, you know, I just was like a sponge and would soak up how I could beat them. <laughs> who, is your, who are the drivers you're watching now, the young women drivers? Especially? Oh, wow. I mean, um, whew, there's so many. Um, you know, there's this Kaylee Bryson who's running in USAC that's caught my attention, um, that's doing so well. Um, Courtney Crone has is, is been doing really well in, in USAC and now into the LMP2s. Sabre Cook, um, Hannah Grissom, um, you know, in sports cars. And then, of course, drag racing has always had, I mean, not always, but I think ever since Shirley, drag racing has had some great superstars out there. And, and right now they're rocking. I mean, Brittany Force and Erica Enders, I mean, they're just, yeah. they're just Anybody with last name Force, yeah. 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 <laughs> drag racing, which I just love. Um, in open wheel, we don't have as many as I wish, as I'd hoped, um, but it is coming in the open wheel it, more through the USAC category. Um, obviously, Haley Deegan has got everybody's attention in NASCAR, but there's other gals running in NASCAR, um, you know, that are running in the ARCA, the, the lower level of, our, of uh, NASCAR and ARCA. So, um you know they're 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 scattered. I mean they're they are, are you know there's so many types of racing in this country that it's really hard to capture you know like a, a women that are that are running in one particular category. That's why it's so important. But what we're doing in IMSA because there are some really strong um, competitive championship caliber female drivers that are are rideless right now. They don't even have a ride right now. Um, and so we really need to we need to get them in a seat and get them with a team that that wants them to win that will win with them. Actually, I had a question about that. Um, do you have any advice for young women drivers in getting sponsorships and holding sponsorships? Oh yeah. First of all, <laughs> make a list of all the companies and products that you use that you believe in. Um, the other is, you know. Remember that every time you talk to anybody about sponsorship, that it's about them and not about you. And this isn't just for women. This is for anybody. It's just that the problem is that I, every young person, regardless of age, everybody that I talk to that says they're out trying to get sponsors, they do these long portfolios of their racing resume and, and they're all about them. And then they pitch themselves to a company. And instead, they should do research about the company, find out what kind of business the company is, you know, what, what products do they have? How do they distribute their products? Where do they distribute? You've got to be a business person and, and learn about the companies and then figure out how you can help the company. You've got to figure out how you can help the company grow their business, increase their business. What, what can you do for them? Not, you know what they can do for you and you spend too much. They spend, everybody spends too much time, pitching themselves to a company rather than learning about the company and understanding what they can do for a company. Yeah, Lynn, I mean, you and I have had this conversation and I think the one thing we've learned is to, first of all, stop referring to them as sponsorships. They're not, they're partnerships. It's got to be, you know, something mutually beneficial. Um, and Lynn's spot on as far as you need to understand the business that you're going to involve yourself in, or it's going to be a very short, very short, uh, long relationship. 
Hey, man, I want to back up here real quick because you just threw a word out there that I, I kind of triggered a thought. You were talking about you've always been comfortable at a racetrack. You and I both know that motor racing is a business of an exercise in becoming comfortable with discomfort, right? You're never comfortable, let's say, in a racetrack. So back it up to the 500. You're there for the month of May, um, and the goal is to get to a number and get comfortable. Um at what point in the month of May, or were you just comfortable no. right off the bat at 240? At what point in the month of May were you comfortable? Well, I don't yeah, need probably. the day. Well, no, 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 that's funny because I spent more time in the pace car than I think any of the other rookies. I mean, I was out there trying to get this feel of, of, of how to get that damn car around you know, it's a whole different line than it is in road racing. And uh, it's all about momentum, but it's still your, your, your entry is completely different, you know, and, and it's, <laughs> even though I'm smooth, those, those arcs were so long, you know, their, their apexes are like way down there, but you know, you don't turn into the apex, you've got to glide down into that apex, you know, and it's just, oh God, it was such a different thing. So I have to say that the first time I really felt really comfortable and i'll never forget it actually you made me think about this it was the first time i went out to qualify i mean and i i i, I mean i don't know if i'd ever, ever i don't know if i'd ever put four laps together and gone flat you know up to that point but i just remember sitting in the car as they and there's this whole routine that you go through when you go out to qualify and you're in line and they hold you and you have to wait till the car that went out before you clears and, and the chief steward then gives you instructions about what to do it's the, and it's also the first time that you enter the racetrack directly out of pit lane instead of going down you know the whole pit lane all the way around the track so you go directly on the track coming out of pit lane which and i just remember texas i said to myself texas because you're out there all by yourself and it's like you own this racetrack and i literally remember saying as i pulled out this is my racetrack. I mean, it was just that confidence level that I had to feel that this is my, I don't have to look in the mirrors. I don't have to listen to a spotter. We didn't have spotters back then, but I don't have to listen to the radio of Dick telling me what's going on or asking me what the fuel temp, or, you know, the water temp is or what the oil pressure is because we didn't have all the sensors on it back then either. So it was just like, you block it all out and it's my racetrack. And, and that was my first confidence really strong confident feeling was the first day of qualifying so that was two weeks after being there that's a good question you yeah. should do this more often I, uh, yeah yeah it's a steep learning curve. Yeah, there may be sure a, a game for employment for me there, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> i have a personal question for you uh i know you're a grandmother now congratulations yeah. by the way um did your kids always think, like, holy crap, I have the coolest mom in the world? Because I would. <laughs> no, I, I have a daughter, and oh, she would be so annoyed because she'd come home from school and it'd be like, I'm not race central. Everybody wants to know what happened at the races over the weekend. I tell them, you know, turn on the radio, read the paper. I'm not the one that's going to give you all. You know, so she, you know, she had her own life. I mean, she was proud of me, and, and she liked going to the Indy 500 and she liked meeting Mario Andretti and Emerson Fittipaldi. You know, she liked some of the fringe benefits, but um, but she, I don't think she ever felt she had the coolest mom. It was more of, she had the coolest life. 
She knew she had a good life. Huh. Is she, is she into no, motorsports at all? No, not really. I mean, and she's, she's a very, she abides by all the laws when she drives. I mean, it blows me away. You know, I'm like, I remember even when she was learning how to drive, it was, I would be riding with her and I'm like, what are you doing? And I realized what she was doing was coming to a complete stop and a stop sign. I said, nobody comes to a complete stop and a stop sign. I, I don't understand those people <laughs> either. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stopping right. is a suggestion. Right, yeah. <laughs> what are you driving on the street anyway? Do you have a favorite right now? I mean, I'm sure you have. No, I don't have a lot. I didn't win the Indy 500, for God's sake. I just ran it, but... Um, I know, well, but I, and I don't, I have a small garage and I don't have a crew and, you know, I'm not, so I have, my favorite little car is my 1990 Miata. I mean, I, it is my little red sports car and it's only got about 40,000 miles on it. Yeah, I've had it since answer. it first came out as my, you know, I've been the only owner and, uh, and that's my have fun, take a ride, put the top down, go for, you know, and, and just have a good time. So that's my car. And then I. That's an everyday race car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That that Miata is a perfect example of learn learn to drive a slow car fast, and you don't get in a race car. You put it on. I've I've been, every time I get in a Miata, I feel like I've put a piece of clothing on it. Just yeah. one with it, it's a part yeah. of your body. It just feels right. I'd pay to see you in a Miata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would I would pay to see yeah, me in so a Miata from that. the pain I would yeah. suffer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, as they say, Miata is always the answer. And yeah. I've, people have asked me so many times, like, what should I go? What should I get? I'm on a budget. Well, before cars went through the roof, especially Miatas, I always told everybody, just get a Miata. Get a Miata, go to the track. If you can drive that fast, then you can go from there. But that's the, the perfect. I think sure. I think if you can get from the, the back to the middle to the front of the spec Miata group, you've you've fast. developed your racecraft. Yeah. Yep. Oh, cool. I'd get a Mini Cooper. You know, just I... Uh, size-wise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yep. Before we uh, before we uh, close or wind down here, which I know we're getting ready to do, um, Lynn, thank you for sharing with the group what we're what we're working on the project we have with IMSA and from the Seattle side. And you know, if there's anyone out there in our group listening that would like to know more about what we're trying to do here and get involved in it corporately or privately, um, I'm not hard to find. I am not hard to find. Neither is Donna. So uh, we're open to coffee with anybody. We'll put that contact information on the episode notes too. There you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, is, is there, I'm going to go back to the car conversation because I'm dying to know. I always like to ask the pro drivers who really are fast. Like, if there a car out there that you're looking at that you're like, yes, that is, that is impressive that you've got, or is anything you've gotten behind the wheel of, or you're just like, whoa, this was pretty mind blowing? No, I mean, I spent too much time on airplanes, to be honest with you. I don't have that much chance to even drive. But um, <laughs> my problem, I'm going to tell you, my problem is that I'm not into all of this high technology. I mean, I mean, I want to drive the car. I don't want all of these freaking buttons and, you know, different things. I mean, it's just, it drives me crazy. So, I mean, if I were to get excited about a car, it's going to probably be something from, you know, the, the eighties or the nineties, what, you know, with a lot of power and, and, and not, and, and it breaks and handles. And, you know, I mean, I just, I'm not excited about all this new technology stuff. It just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. So um, from that standpoint, I guess I'm, it's That's not fair. a very exciting answer, but it's the truth. 
Well, I mean, let, let's twist a little bit. So what were you excited about in yeah. the 80s and 90s that came up? I'm, obviously, you bought the Miata, but I mean, what, what came out? In, let's say the 80s. Let's, let's give it the 80s that you were like, oh, my gosh, that's something. I really liked the XR4TI, the, the Mercure. Um, that was that was a, yeah. a car that I raced, and then I, I had one of those that I was able to get from Ford. Um, and so I, I wanted to keep that car. I was like, I don't want to give it back. Um, because <laughs> uh, I really liked the way the turbo came in and I just like it was also it was big enough that I could you know carry things around and stuff like that so um, I don't like Corvettes um, and I'm trying to think and I really am not a I, I got to be careful and tell you what I don't like so <laughs> let me just pull this knife yeah, out of your yeah, really, yeah, yeah. 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 Mr. Corvette. Uh, but no, I like well, them all. I, yeah. it, you know, I, I have to get seated. The only thing is I have to fit in the car and get seated properly. And it's hard to do that, actually. That's one of the things that I think women have a hard time. You know, some of the cars are just, they're really hard to get, you know, to get seated. At least the more current cars have more adjustable seats, which I like. I actually, I drive a, a, a Kia Sprint. Uh, Springer, not a Springer, Sprinter. Stinger. Sting that's it. Stinger. Stinger. I'm a, Stinger. a Stinger, Stinger GT. I'm a Stinger <laughs> GT, and, and I'm I actually like that, but I still don't like it's got too many different buttons and things I gotta try to adjust. <laughs> I was uh, Josie Rimmer from Dirtfish is on the chat. She's very very happy. You said XR4TI, but oh, we scored a lot of points with Dirtfish right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's a big fan. Do we have any questions from the, the chat that yeah there's a little bit of a delay going to youtube so we'll give it a minute here but if there are questions from the chat i would love to take them from our youtube audience so let's give that a minute to catch up and i'll bounce back to that uh let's see oh debbie briscoe says i have your quote about wearing the car in my logbook and read, read it on the first day of a race weekend when did you first actually feel that sensation good question, question. Yeah. i know debbie um I think it was kind of hard with some of my early Mustangs because they were like tanks. Um, and well, I mean, they were just, you know, I, I, but it was probably my later Mustangs. No, 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 no. I know exactly what it was. I had to think about that. Sorry. It was the Ford Argo prototype car. 1984, I had a Ford Argo prototype and it, oh, it was just perfect for me. It was a small GTP car. And I just, I, I was just perfectly fitted in that car and the weight balance was perfect. The engine was behind me. The brakes actually worked. Um, and it, it just, I just wore that car. That was the first time I had that real sensation of feeling one with the car. I, I tried it on other cars, but it was, more like a conversation and an argument rather than, you know, feeling like I'm aligned with the car. Good one. Uh, I have a comment and a question. See, Josie Rimmer says, Lynn, next time you're here at Dirtfish, you can drive my 86 XR4 TI, the Lady Avocado, as she calls it. There you go. Oh, go I'd love rally. to do that. Tell her she's on. I'm, I, I'm there gonna you take, go. I'm take her that was a hard you. sell. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you like this yeah. car? Here's one. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take her up from there. And then Michelle has a great question. Okay, there you go. Good, good one, Josie. Uh, let's see. Michelle Graff has a great question. Can Lynn talk about the best ways for women to find driving mentors? Maybe they are more slowly getting into racing and need to find connections for learning. Well, um, I can tell you that 
I would use the same theory that I used, which is, is to approach, people are mentors sometimes without knowing they are. Don't wait to think that, oh, well, that person wouldn't give me advice or that person's too good for me or, you know, I don't, I'm not at that level yet. I mean, I have never been afraid to ask anybody um, for help. And to the point that I've been annoying over the years. And, but I think you, you pick your mentors. I mean, just don't wait and think that somebody, you know, that somebody has to show themselves as a mentor or as somebody who be, will be helpful. You have no idea sometimes who will actually respond and give you some good advice. People love to feel proud about what they know and what they do and, and, and just going up and asking and with intent, not, not have a specific reason that you, is a specific question. Um, I remember Jim Busby, I, I, I remember grabbing him uh, and I didn't even, oh, nice, I didn't grab him, but I mean, I remember walking up to him on pit lane at Pocono and I said, Jim, I mean, Jim Busby was like Mr. I mean, he was Mr. B of Goodrich and you know, and he had the big GTP car and I was driving a shitbox Mustang at that time. And, I, I was driving. Popular model, the shitbox Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> that car, I felt like I was tippy to. I felt like I was riding on top of the car rather than in the car. And and so I said, Jim, have you got a few minutes? I, Hi, I'm Lynn St. James. Have you got a few minutes? He goes, yeah, sure. Would you walk pit lane with me? And would you point out it, one or two features of every race car as to why it's good or why it's bad? And we literally walked up pit lane, probably looked at 10 different race cars. And he pointed out that the seat position, the, 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 where the center of gravity was, where the wheel, you know, the, the housing, the wheel wells and where the wheels were placed in the wheel wells, how low the engine was. I mean, he bit, literally gave me visual, knowledgeable information about why this race car was good and that race car was not good. And I learned more in that 10 minute walk with Jim Busby than I learned probably the whole year of trying to race and trying to talk to my, my poor crew who were trying to make my car work. So you, you just never, you, ha you can never be afraid to approach somebody, but be with, have intent, be specific about what it is you wanna know and, and pay attention and, and take notes. That's great advice. I mean, to answer Michelle's underlying question, yes, Dan and I will be your mentor. You're welcome. <laughs> and you will be slower uh, as a result. I, I didn't say she'd be faster. I said we'd be your mentor. <laughs> so you couldn't see, It's not written there, but you Well, could, and you know, pick you your mentors <laughs> because you want to pick people who are really good at what they do. Um, because there are a lot of people who... Yeah, helped her with her insurance claim. Well, technic technically, we're picking yeah. her, but I mean, yeah. same thing. Yeah. If I need driving advice, I'm going to Michelle. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to wake her as a mentor. <laughs> Good. Hey, that is a perfect timing because our next guest, our next question comes from Peter Gleason. <laughs> Never heard of him. He's very British. No. <laughs> and he has a simple question, uh, which is a really good one, though. It's a great one to close with. Best race, the one Lynn would like to be remembered for. Ooh. Nice job, Peter. You good broke job, Peter. <laughs> yeah, you know, your best race is not always the one that, you know, that you want or that everybody else would be thinking about. 
Um, well, there's there's two parts to that. I mean, there's the best race that I felt I did versus the one you want to be remembered for. The one that I'll probably be remembered for is when 1985 at Watkins Glen, when I won driving solo um, in, a, in a 500K race at IMSA. It's the only time it's ever been done, and I don't think it's been done since because I think they probably wrote it out of the rules. But... Um, where I didn't let my co-driver in and I drove the whole race myself and, and won. Um, so I'm probably will be remembered for that um, other than the Indy and the, and the Talladegas. But you know, the one, there's a car that I want to talk about. Actually, I wish I'd thought of it earlier when you asked me that question. The, the one race car that I got to drive was a vintage race. It was the, 2007 version of the Ford GT. So I'm taking my, I'm now answering that other question that you gave. If I had a chance to have a car, that would be it. But it would be the one that Kevin, the story. one that Kevin Doran built. And I mean, I told Kevin, I said, this is my race car. I mean, I drove it that, that race at Watkins Glen. I was like in a zone, you know, I, I, that personally was one of my best races. I know my lap times were consistent. I know my lap times were good and I hit all my marks and that car is, it's just, it's, it's got adjustable power steering. It has air conditioning, which I forgot to turn on. And cause I've never had a race car that had air conditioning before. And it had a seat that I could adjust to fit me. I didn't have to have a seat poured. It was just fit for me. And, it, and, and the car was just, I mean, it was just perfect. The brakes worked for the whole race. It's only a 30 minute race, but still it was, it was a memory that I'm going to cherish forever is in Kevin Doran's GT3, um, Ford GT that he built. That's a hell of a car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Lynn, thank you so much for coming and doing this. I know you're not feeling well, so thank you for making this work. I know we had a few difficulties in the beginning, but it, it means a lot to us for you to be here. Uh, really love talking to you and thank you everyone at Park Place for hosting us, for still making this work. And of course, Savants. Thank you. Thank you. Pro I, Lynn, we'll, uh, I don't know what you've done yet, but thank you. Well, I didn't do much. Lynn, we'll see you in the morning and talk <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for understanding. You know, unfortunately, I got COVID, and you know, but I'm coming out of it. But um, I couldn't risk myself and, and anybody else. Uh, and, and I wanted to be there. We've been planning this for months. And so um, I appreciate everybody kind of stepping up and pivoting and adjusting. And I'm so glad we at least got to do this. And I hope everybody has a great time this evening and, and has a great time tomorrow. And, and please join us on, on, our, on our IMSA program campaign. We, we need you to join us. This is the time. It's time for women to win a championship. I told, I told, I told, I told Lynn earlier today, we were on the phone and I said, Lynn, we've, we're growing something here that is our 20th year or our 20th anniversary of our Women's Day at, at Pacific and Performance. But this one here has really grown substantially. It's going to be a two day event next year. And I told Lynn, the good news is you've got employment <laughs> next year up in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. A paycheck. Well, we're looking forward to seeing yeah. you next year in person. And uh, from our from our YouTube uh, audience, everybody's saying thank you very much. You're an inspiration to many, many of them. So thank you, YouTube audience, for tuning in. And well, thank you. Actually, I, I'm looking forward to be at that track, too, because I ran Trans Am at that track back in the 80s. So I want to get back on that track. Yeah. 
Hey, you had a young protege there with you, Paul Newman. <laughs> you remember that guy? I've had a salad. Salad dressing. Salad dressing. Popcorn salad. 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 Yeah, I'll have a good time. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Good to see you, Lynn. All right. Well, okay. we'll see you soon. Uh, for this episode of the Avance Podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's Lynn St. James. I'm Nick Bergeron. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye.